need a new podcast check out coma girl by stephanie bond it's a daily podcast that can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts in coma girl the victim of a tragic event lies in a hospital bed at the mercy of dysfunctional family friends and caretakers who all think she can't hear them but she so can a romantic comedy mystery written by stephanie bond that builds an intensity as it unfolds over six months The Coma Girl Fiction Podcast is available on your favorite podcatcher. Listen to Coma Girl Podcast by Stephanie Bond and find out how much you can learn about people when they think you're asleep. Welcome back to another week of Read Me Romance. Hey, welcome and thanks for joining us this week. We have Dylan Allen. Again, she brought us a book earlier, and well, I say earlier, in the beginning of the podcast. It's called Between Us and Forever. And when, I know we've talked about this before, but in the original seasons of Read Me Romance, because I think we're on like season eight or something, I think this is the first or second season when Dylan was on with us, we played an episode every day. So that was, was nuts. I I know. We, did that. we had like, I mean, and we were crazy because we would do like all three of us would talk like in the beginning and then we'd have the a chapter and then we'd talk after and then we'd do fake ads and like it was on like the middle of the week, nobody would talk. And it was like, it was insanity. I don't know what we were thinking. So we've decided to pull a couple of the old favorites um, and we love Dylan Allen. She's amazing. There's actually a giveaway going on right now on Alexa Riley's Facebook page and it will end this day so tuesday the day this airs it will end this day so if you're listening to it right now go over to lex riley's instagram and enter to win a giveaway it's part of the giveaway is you're winning a signed copy it's like a set of books she sent and it's $50 or sorry, it's $100 in spending to the perfectly posh store that a bookstagrammer, Corey Noel, that she runs. It's like $100 to spend in her like store where she does like all kinds of like beauty products, like hand cream, hair stuff, bath stuff. Like I've ordered a shit ton of stuff from her. I love it. And then it's also a pair of earrings from L Brand's Jewelry. Like it's it's a great giveaway. So if you're listening to this now, today's the last day to go enter that giveaway. And in addition to that, I'm going to give away. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, wait. I put it up. It's her rival. It's Dylan Allen. It's her rival series. It's like, I shit you not, it's four books. It's like this big. Damn. I think it's the, one of the biggest books I have, but she sent a signed copy of that. So we'll do a giveaway um, sometime this week on Read Me Romance with that as well. Just like her rival series. She had it for sale when it first came out for 99 cents. I was like, are you insane? Jeez. It was, I know it was so many books all at once. And she was like, yeah, I'm only doing it for a week just for people who really want it. It, it was kind of like, like, I think it was like to, you know, to give everybody a break who really wanted that whole series Sometimes together. Sometimes I'll do that. Even if I own all the books and I'll see a bundle came out and it's only 99 cents, I'll be like, oh, I want to reread that. It's easier just to read the bundle. Yeah, exactly. And it's like all together in the one click and you don't have to figure out what order they go in or anything. It just, it made it really easy when I read it too. I was like, this is great. But um, like I said, the book that we have today with us is Between Us and Forever by Dylan Allen. And I actually messaged her, I think 
think it was either last week or, or earlier, I told her, I said, hey, I looked at your your page on Amazon and I said, you don't have Between Us and Forever on there. I want to look it up too while I'm talking about it. But she said, um, she was like, actually, I never published it as an ebook because I kept writing in it. So it's actually crazily enough, it comes out, I think it's March 29th. So it comes out not not this week, but next week, I think, or week after. It's the end of this month. But it's called The Sounds of Temptation, A Standalone Second Chance Forbidden Romance. And so like she's expanded it. And that's like the next book that she has coming out. So that's really cool. So we have this ebook that you're going to hear today. And if you want more of this story, which is really cool, like it's coming out at the end of March. And I want to say this book's like, I think it's like two or three hundred pages. Like it's pretty sturdy. Damn, she really expanded it. Yeah, like she she kept going with it. Yeah, it's in it's gonna be in Ku, and it's I think it's three ninety nine. It's got on here. The pre orders up now. So if you like it today and you you want more of it, you're about to get it. So make sure you go grab that. And like I said, that one's she changed it as Sounds of Temptation because she just kept going. So so I thought that was really cool. So I love Dylan. Like every time I've met her and been around her, she's so great. And I think she's such like a, it was when I did the giveaway the other day, I was recording her video and I had a really hard time, like trying to come up with how best to describe her in it. Cause I always like to say something about the author and you know, the books they write and like, she loves enemies to lovers. Like she writes great books like that. She loves like, like second chances and stuff. Like she's, she's right. She writes incredible books like that. But Dylan as a person, like it's hard to describe her because she's so wonderful. She's so giving and kind and sweet. And she truly is the type of person that like, whatever you give, you're going to get back tenfold. So it's like, she's always just so she, and you know, not only is she happy and bubbly and fun to be around, but she's also really vulnerable. Like she'll explain when she's struggling and when she's having a hard time and, you know, she'll message and say like, I just feel like a fraud sometimes. Like, I don't feel like, um, this is real or that I'm good enough or, you know, whatever. And it just, it, it, part of my heart, like just aches for her because, I know what that feels like, you know, to feel like you're not good at that imposter syndrome where it's like, oh, I'm just pretending to be all the things I want to be, but I'm really not those things. Yeah. And I see that like in myself and I see that in her as well sometimes. And I just like, I want to hug her. Like every time I talk to her, she's just a, a really sweet and kind person. So I love Dylan. I, I can't say m- much more about how awesome she is. So <laughs> if you haven't read her, you should go read her book. She's a, she is a fantastic writer. So she writes all the feels. (laughs) I did see that Taryn Fisher has a book. It's called The Wives, and I've never read it. It is getting, I think it maybe either is getting a show. There's a producer and everybody that signed on it it, at Netflix. So it may be like a show. I would not be shocked if Taryn Fisher got a deal on like Netflix or some shit like that or HBO. Her books are made for shit like that. Like those like thriller, suspenseful, like achy kind of things. Like they're made for that. I think we even talked about it before. Like I read her series a long time ago and it was, I think it's called the Confession series, but the first one is called The Opportunist. 
And I read the whole series. And let me t- I just like, it ripped me in two. It, and I didn't, I don't know if I've read another book since that series from her. I can't do the rip in two. No, it was. It like, I'm serious. But some people love some Yeah, some people love it. love it. They're like, yes, I want to be emotionally ripped apart. And that series did it. I mean, I even have, I know I've probably talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. But I was reading the last book. And I was on the way to Love in Vegas to see you. And I was on the plane sobbing because I was reading like the, the oh, last that's book. That's the it. worst when you're on a plane oh my and you God. read a sad scene and you're like about to <sighs> cry. You're like, I, like it was it it ripped me apart because it's not like she and she said before I think she's even said publicly she doesn't write happily happily ever afters like she doesn't write love stories that's not what she writes she writes tragedies and yeah. sometimes the the characters have an ending and it's not even a good ending they just have an ending yeah. so like it really just depends on you know what you want but I just, I noticed that today talking about like um, books that are emotionally charged and stuff. I saw it a few minutes ago and I meant to say something about it. I think it, I'd probably watch it if it came on Netflix or HBO, HBO or something. It reminds me of a little like uh, Jillian Flynn, like in Gone Girl or something like that. Like those, she reminds me of like that, that whole like Gone Girl, like the girl on the train, like those books where it's kind of like suspenseful mystery dark romance stuff like that that's happening so it I would definitely watch it I think it'd be cool to see what happens but reading that it just it invests too much time and emotion into <laughs> it I can't do it although I have to say I've DNF'd I think three or four books in a row now and I was like you know what like I thought about it yesterday I was like I was due because I've had so many good books this year that it was time where it's like I feel didn't that happen to you though where it's like you get like in a good role and all of a sudden like you're like "Uh," it's like a couple of books in between where you have to sometimes I wonder though if some books were so good and then I go on to another book and I'm just like, oh, yeah. but then at the same time, if I hadn't read that after uh-huh. this, I wonder if it would have just been okay. Oh, that's such a good point. That's really valid. Like the, a couple of books that I read, I really, it wasn't that they were bad stories. One book in particular, it just, it wasn't going in the direction I wanted it to. And it that was you know how we've talked about before you and I both have like a lot of particulars one of the things that then this, this is terrible to say but it's just the way I am I don't like when there's a lot of consent in a book and I, I know that that's like that's not reality for me like in reality of course I want consent but in fantasy yeah. I don't want the hero to keep asking for permission like permission to kiss permission to touch permission to stay the night permission to go with you permission to be your date I'm just like if you don't grab her mm-hmm. and take her against that wall I'm gonna scream you know like <laughs> So it's like, like that sort of thing. That was one of the books, like I kept going through this book and every time it came up, I was just like, oh, so like that was one that, that I was just like, I can't keep reading that this. Reminds like, me, I seen a video once where they're like, if you do what they do in books, watch what happens. He like grabbed his wife hair to pull her back and kiss her. And he, she was like, what? <laughs> she like smacks him upside the head. I love that. <laughs> like, Don't grab my hair. I remember that. Yeah, I do. But, you know, it's it's funny, like, that's, again, that isn't how I would want my reality at all. But when it comes to romance, like, it really is something that 
it just bothered me. Like it just kept like taking every time I would read it, I would just cringe. And it was just like, it took, it took me out of it enough to where I stopped reading. And another book, and I told you about it, I said, I think it just wasn't the right time. Like, you know, I just got finished reading a 750 page fantasy book. And I, it's like, I kept wanting this other book to be that. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I'm just going to stop reading it because I'm I'm not in a good place to read it. And like you say, maybe that's it. Maybe it was just like the wrong time to where if I went back and read it, it would be different. And then another one, like I started it and it's not a romance at all. And it was really serious. And I got a couple chapters in and I was like, I don't have the heart for this. <laughs> like, I'm just I'm not enjoying it. And I've, I'm the first one to say, don't read something because you feel like you have to. You know, I'm not in high school anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing our book report on it. I'm not going to waste my time. So I don't know. Although, you know, I've still been sticking. I'm so proud of myself that I have stuck to the, you know, don't buy any new books in March. Like, you know, keep reading all the paperback books I have. Don't buy anything new. I'm so proud of myself that I've stayed with that. And on top of it, my pre-order for Kerrigan Burn hit today, and I'm so oh my thankful that I pre-ordered it. I'm like beside myself happy because I just DNF like four I books. I love pre-ordering. The other day, I went uh, and pre-ordered a couple authors' stuff because I won't remember. Yes, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. like, because some people I don't follow, like I love. Katie Rias's stuff or whatever, uh-huh. but they're not in my timeline or mm-hmm. I'm not going to see it. So I went and well, pre-ordered if they a bunch don't of stuff. Post a lot. It's so, yeah, they don't post a lot. It's yeah. so fun when you go to sit down and you're playing with your Kindle and you're like, oh! Oh, it's like a surprise. I get an email from Amazon and I was like, I was so excited. But that's so exciting though when a book pops up and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was out. Yes. Well, I was like, I was really nervous too because I was like, oh God, I've got two more paperbacks. I've got to read. Like, you know, I don't know if I want to start them yet. I'm not ready to DNF another one. Like, come on. And then I got that email this morning. I was like, it's like the Lord just <laughs> opened up my Amazon and was like, oh. we got you. We'll bring you yeah. back. <laughs> no, I was like, Kerrigan Byrne, you old bitch. I love you. <laughs> One day I'm going to give her a big hug. So, but no, I was really excited that like the new book in, I think, I think it's the Red Rogue series. I can't even remember. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what book it is, what series it's in. I'm happy to read it. So I was pretty jazzed up about that today. So tell me about what you were reading. You said something when we got on. You were like, I didn't uh, want to stop reading. So so tell me again. Who Who is it? You said, what author was it? It is, her name is K.L. Dunn. Oh, okay. D-O-N-N. D-O-N-N. Oh. Yeah. So she just has, um... She does darker stuff, but it's like my kind of wheelbarrow dark stuff mm-hmm. where there can be murder and mayhem and whatever, but the hero is still weirdly sweet to the heroine, which yeah. is completely unrealistic and whatever. Of course. I don't care. <laughs> He's not asking for consent. That's all I'm saying. He's not asking for permission. So I've been reading her. So I read one last night and I really enjoyed it and I stayed up way too late. 
And so I went back through her stuff. I read His Kingdom. That's what it was. It's new. And it looks like there's going to be two more books in the series. And I pre-ordered those last night. So they'll pop up on me. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I saw that Talia Hibbert, she has a new book out in the, the Get a Life, Chloe Brown. And I can't get it yet because I said I wouldn't buy it yet. But I also, the problem is, is that I haven't bought book two. And both of them sound so good that I can't wait to read them. So I saw I that it. it went live I should today. read it this weekend. Oh, my God. Please read it. It's like, I'm telling you, it's sort of a contemporary romance, but it's like young and fun and sexy. And I wouldn't ever classify it as contemporary except for there's nothing like there's not like sci-fi or paranormal or menage. Like it's not, you know, there's not like a label you could put besides just contemporary, but everything about that book was great. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like a rom-com. It's really cute. So like, there's a lot of like really cute situations. I would say that. Yeah. That's a good place to put it. It's, It's so good. I have been watching something like in between DNFing books. I watched The Last Dance on Netflix and it's the Michael Jordan story. Have you watched that? I don't Uh -uh. know if Rob made you do it or not. Was Rob ever into basketball? I know he's into football. Was he ever into basketball? No, that's like the one thing he's not. He was into golf, everything else, but I've never seen him watch basketball. So my husband and I, we both like, we, that's the funny with me and you too. Like you guys prefer NFL and we both, my husband and I both prefer college, college football, college basketball, all that. So I used to get really into March Madness up until I had my daughter, my first one. I used to do a bracket every year, but the last time I did one, it was because I was filling out my bracket as I was going into the the delivery room. <laughs> like she was born on March 18th. And so we, March Madness is always like at her birthday. So I, I just never think about it. I don't have time to do anymore. This year's crazy with that. But anyway, so I used to be really into it. But anyways, the, the last dance, the Michael Jordan story. The reason I wanted to watch this was is because, you know, the murder podcast I listened to, my favorite murder. One of the murders that they covered was Michael Jackson's or listen to me, Michael Jordan's father. So Michael Jordan's father was murdered during one of his like, well, I say his last tournament, but it was his last tournament before he retired the first time. So anyway, so I listened to the story and I was like listening about his relationship with his father and like all this stuff about his dad and how it happened. And he was, the dad was like, on the way back, they, they're from North Carolina, which is why my husband loves Michael Jordan. Cause he was like, you know, when I was younger, he was like, he was a hometown hero. Like Jordan was from my husband's town, like the town he was, he lived in. So he was like, you know, he was from there. Like he played college at UNC Chapel Hill. So it was like, he just grew up with him. And he was like, you know, obviously this incredible player played for the Bulls, whatever. So anyway, so the dad was on the way back home through between South and North Carolina. And they think at one point he got tired and pulled over. And as he was asleep, these guys just saw an opportunity and walked up and robbed him and like took him, took the car. Somehow he was killed in this. And so, and they had no idea that he was Michael Jordan's dad. Yeah. And so it was like this awful thing. It was like three weeks of like trying to find him and all this stuff. It was just awful. And so it was after he had won, I think his third, Jordan had won his third tournament. And afterwards he retired and he said, I can retire happy knowing that my dad watched me play my last game. And it was like, let me tell you, when I saw that video, like, I just started sobbing. I was like, what is this? <sighs> oh, it was awful. 
So anyways, the thing that I like about the last dance though, and I'm not super into basketball, especially professional basketball. It is an incredible story of not only like how Michael Jordan went to Chicago, created like this dynasty and like him as an athlete, it is really like he is he's like otherworldly like his talent his contribution to basketball like what he built there and just him as an athlete it's like he's not human you know like it's like jennifer lopez isn't like he the how one that went played baseball too yes he okay. did so what happened was he went and he got three back-to-back championships in basketball so after the third one he said he was retiring so when he retired, he was he was away from basketball for 22 months. And in that time, he went to baseball and they let him try out at the White Sox. And after he spent, I think, two or three weeks at training camp there, and they were like, he's good enough to play in the minors. They put him in the minors. And I don't know shit about baseball, but they said he batted over 200 or something like it was like 203 or some shit. I don't know. They were like, if he would have played for another year, he could have made the majors. Like, that's how Jesus. fucking good he was. Like, it is insane the amount of physical, natural talent this person has, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, he did that, I think it was for 22 months. And then after that, he decided to come back to basketball. And then he played again, and he won three more championships after that. Like, how is this possible, you know? But the thing I loved about this whole thing, like watching, you know, the the whole like Netflix series, it's long. It's 10 episodes. They're all an hour each. Like there, it's a heavy episode or it's like a heavy show. But the thing I loved about it, well, two things really. One is that they don't discuss his wife at all. Like his wife, his kids, his kids are only in the last episode and they at, and they only ask them and they say, where were you when this happened? They were like, well, we were in the basement. Our mom wouldn't let us go upstairs and watch it live because the crowd was going so nuts. And so like, she was like, they, they didn't think it was safe, but they never talk about his wife. Are they married still? I don't think so. No. From what my husband was telling me, he said he thinks that when they, like, I'm sure you could look it up, but I just didn't. He said he thinks from what happened when they got divorced, she took like, I think it was like 200 and something million dollars, like, like fucking got paid. And I was like, I don't know that it was like, I don't, maybe it was cheating. I don't know. It did, that he didn't say, like, I don't know what their cause was, but I kind of like that. Like this entire thing was only about basketball. So it's like, and I think he probably went into and saying like, you can ask me about my dad because my dad was at every game. He was one of my, like his like personal coaches or whatever. He was like, you can ask me about that, but you're not asking me shit about my family. And he didn't say a fucking word. And it was just like, like he never even talked about like, Oh, I was having a hard time because I was in the middle of getting a divorce or my son was born this day or nothing. You know, I really like that aspect of it, that they sort of like put that to the side and like it was like that personal life is separate from the athlete. And that's what we're talking about. So I really enjoyed that. And then the other aspect I liked about even if we're not liking basketball, the stuff that they brought up was so fucking nostalgic, like the music. They talked about the dream team in Barcelona at the 92 Olympics. I fucking watched those games <sighs> like in the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. Like I watched that shit, too. Like it is insane. Like all the stuff that 
I got to see as a kid that's like historic, you know, like it was, that was really cool. And the, you know, the music and everything they played in it was all around the air. It really just brought back a lot of stuff. So I don't know, just, I really enjoyed it. I only remember Space Jam. They talked about that too. (laughs) They talked about him making Space Jam. They were like, when he was. When you say, that's all I think when you say his name. I'm like, Space Jam? Yes. Yes. I I know. I love Space Jam. But actually, when he was filming Space Jam, he had just come back from baseball. And his first season back in basketball, I want to say he came back maybe mid-season or something because they didn't win anything. And at the end of it, they lost to Orlando Magics. They lost like whatever their championship game was. And so they were like that summer he was set to fill film Space Jam. And he told Warner Brothers Studios, he said, I'll film, but I need a full basketball court right next to the studio so I can practice. And so he did. So he, he said Warner Brothers, to their credit, built me a basketball court and they showed this huge dome and it was like they built this whole like fucking arena for him while he was filming this movie yeah and so they said it was like some they interviewed tons of players like Dennis Rodman Scottie Pippen like all these incredible athletes they're interviewing him Dennis Rodman was like he was like yeah it was a big deal he said it was kind of funny like everybody at the end of the day at like seven o'clock when he was done with filming everybody had to go to Warner Brothers studio to play basketball and he was like and that's what he did and he said that whole summer all he thought about was beating Orlando like coming back and beating it like I just I don't know what it is about stories about athletes like I just love um like a comeback story you know yeah and I just like one of the things that one of the other things I really I don't we're gonna do a whole episode on Michael Jordan I'm sorry but one of one thing I really liked too when they were talking about is he would construct these lies in his mind to psych himself up So he said, like, I don't even remember the whole story, but it was something about he was on the court. This one guy, like, ran on him, scored a bunch of points, and at the end of the game, put his arm around his shoulder and said, hey, MJ, how about that game? Like, totally, like, just despaired, you know, like, talking shit, that kind of thing. And Michael said, like, the next game he came back and he said, I'm going to score the points he scored in the game. I'm going to score it in the first half. And he did. He came back the next day on the next night and he scored, like, 37 points in the first half. Damn. I know. And then they asked him afterwards when he was talking about it. They were like, is that true? And he said, no, it wasn't true. I just made it up. Like, he made it up to himself in his head to fire him up. Oh, my God. Is that not insane? Yeah. But it's like he made up in his mind that everybody was trash talking him so that he would always go out there and be his best. Yeah. It was so it, that was so crazy to me. And I thought, like, what a like what a motive, <laughs> like a sinister way to motivate yourself. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of cool. So I really enjoyed that. I wanted to ask you, did you watch the Megan and Harry video yet? No. The Oprah interview? I'm not into the whole royals thing no i don't watch any of this stuff i don't really i wouldn't say um i follow a lot of it but i know a lot about what happens like i don't <laughs> because, even know some of their name yeah well i found i know that, their faces yeah i think the interview like oprah always does a great job of interviewing for dummies you know what i mean like she brings somebody in and she'll say like Okay, let's start from the beginning. Let's, you know, let's go from here. You're here, why? And I did like that Oprah said in the beginning of it. She said, I want to get this out of the way. She was like, 
you are not being paid for this interview. And she and Megan was like, nope. She said, I am not being paid for this. And she was like, all right, I just want to start from there. And she said, and you don't know any of the questions I'm going to ask you. And Megan said, nope. And nothing's off limits. <laughs> I was just like, I was Maybe sitting there in my living room. I was like, here we go. <laughs> the first time I ever paid attention really was when they got together. And it was because the way he looked at her. Whenever oh. you've seen a picture of them together, he looked at her like she hung the fucking moon. He still does. And I remember the gaze of him lo- looking at her. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, he is so in love. Like you could just look at him and yeah. you knew he was in love. He's smitten. He still does it too. The way he looks at her is like it, he's waited his whole life. It's like a romance here. It, it really is. Yeah. You know, James Gordon did an interview with him recently where they went around on like a bus and they toured LA because they live in LA now and they were doing the tour and he took him to the Fresh Prince mansion and he was like, you're a prince. Like, look, you should live here. They were doing like a like a tour of the Hollywood homes. He was like, you should live in the Fresh Prince house. And Harry gets on like a FaceTime with Megan and she's like, what's up, H? And then James Gordon's like, hold on. She calls you H? Just like, just like H? <laughs> what is that? But it was so cute. And they were like FaceTime. And he was like, oh, what are you doing? And James Gordon, like the whole time he's sitting here, he's like, yeah, we're not in the middle of an interview. <laughs> just looking around. It's the way they are. Oh, God, it's so cute. If you haven't watched the interview or if you have and you want to discuss it, my DMs are open. <laughs> All right, well, let's let them get to the first installment. I know they're probably dying to see this. So we're about to play you the first half of Between Us and Forever by Dylan Allen. And like I said earlier, we're going to do a signed paperback giveaway for her this week. And also be sure to check out The Sounds of Temptation. Her pre-orders up for that comes out on March 29th. And then, oh, and before I forget, I don't want to mention it at the end, we have spring merch up. So make sure you check our Facebook group or our social media for links to that. We have Read Me Romance shirts and stuff. So any support you can give the podcast is much appreciated. It helps this machine to keep on trucking. So go check them. And they're actually really fucking cute. <laughs> so I like, I think these are my favorite so far. So nice. make sure you go check those out. And I guess we'll see you on the other side. Between Now and Forever, a River's Wild novella, written by Dylan Allen, narrated by Tracy Marks and Aaron Shedlock. Chapter One, Beth. I have a surprise for you, my best friend Diana sings songs as she rests her ample hip against the edge of the counter next to me. I only spare her a quick glance but it's enough to see a huge grin splitting her bright red lips and mischief dancing in her eyes. My stomach drops. That expression never bodes well for me. She's got a wicked sense of humor, and pranks are one of her love languages. Oh boy, I mutter, and turn down the heat on the roux I've been nursing for the last hour. Don't be like that. You'll like this one. It's tall, handsome, and asking for you. She drawls like she expects that to be an inducement. It's not. I sigh, turn the heat off, and turn to face her with my arms crossed and my expression stern. The last time anyone tall and handsome was asking for me, it was a service processor informing me that I was being sued by my crazy-ass parents. So you're gonna have to forgive me if I'm a little skeptical. Oh, ye of little faith, 
I don't know why you're always expecting the worst. I scoff. Because that's usually what I get? Now spit it out. I've been working on this roux all day, and if I leave it off the heat too long, the last hour I spent stirring it will be for naught. God forbid, she gasps in mock horror, and I can't help but laugh, because I know that I'm obsessive when it comes to cooking, but I also feel like I've got a lot to prove. Dina, just tell me, I say through my chuckle. Her smile grows even whiter, and she squeals, a sound I haven't heard since we were tweens at our first Josh Groban concert. Carter is here! The laughter dies in my suddenly dry, tight throat, and I take an involuntary step back. Her words hit right in my gut, and I bring a trembling hand to my mouth and shake my head. Please don't play with me like that, Dina. You know how I feel about him. Her expression sobers, but her eyes still twinkle. You know I would never, she says gently, and she gives me what I think is meant to be a reassuring smile. But it only makes my heart beat harder. He can't be here, I whisper from behind my hand. She nods. Dread seeps into my blood, and with every beat of my heart, it grows. He is. He and his entire band just sat down and are placing orders for lunch. She tips her head toward the swinging doors of the kitchen. Oh my God, is it just a coincidence? I ask her, my tone making it very clear that I hope the answer is yes. Maybe, she says and my knees nearly buckle with relief that she agrees. Oh, thank God, then maybe he'll leave and never know I was here. Too late, she says, her expression full of mischief again. You told him, I accuse her, and hit her with the towel that's been hanging from the waist of my apron. She laughs and scoots out of my reach. I didn't. Then how do you know he knows, I demand. Why else would he be here? I mean, our food is good, but it's not like diners, drive-ins, and dives gave us a spotlight that would make it a pilgrimage destination for uber-famous out-of-towners. He could be eating anywhere, but he came all the way across town to eat at a diner that's really only patronized by residents of Rivers Wild. I shake my head in disagreement, in denial. You're forgetting that review in the New York Times last month. We've served more out-of-towners than ever since then. Everyone knows the rules drummer's a big foodie. It makes perfect sense that he'd come here. She crosses her arms and grins, like she can see through my facade of nonchalance. Okay, well, how about this? He was madly in love with you in high school and left town promising to come back for you one day. She raises an eyebrow as if to say, how about them apples? My heart does a flip, and I see the moment like it was happening right in front of me, right now. It had been the worst day of my life. I push away the memory and try to minimize it with a flick of my wrist and some dismissive words. We were kids, all of us stuck in that place, and he was just saying it. He didn't mean it. Oh, Lizzie. She only calls me by the nickname she gave me when we were five years old, when she's trying to comfort me. It's fine. I'm fine, I lie, but it's mostly to myself. I know there's no fooling Dina. Her eyes soften with what looks uncomfortably close to pity. Really? I give her a wide smile, but inside I'm trembling. Carter is right out there, and I can't go to him. She puts a hand on my shoulder and turns me to face her. Lizzie, he asked to see you. My heart clenches, and I look over her shoulder at the door. He didn't, I gasp in total disbelief. He came back for you she says slowly, 
like she's worried I won't understand otherwise. But I understand, perfectly. I just don't believe it. Not after all this time. Not when I just made peace with everything I lost. Her eyes are fixed on mine, watching me like she's afraid I'll run, her body tensed to give chase. No. Oh my God. I can't. I whisper and close my eyes to try to damn the tears that are pooling in them. You can. This is your chance. Don't say that, Dina, I snap, more angry than I realized, and she sobers. I will say it. She puts her hands on my shoulders and squeezes. And I'll keep saying it. I know you've had all the belief beat out of you, but I've got enough for both of us, and I'll strap you to my back and carry you out there if I have to. But either way, Carter isn't leaving here without getting the chance to see you. Her words thrill and scare me because I want them to be true so badly. But I know better than almost anyone how bitter unrealized expectations taste, and so I don't allow myself any. Ever. I can't, Dina. You know I can't. She reaches up and runs the back of her hand over my cheek. Stop it, I hiss at her and step out of her hold. You're beautiful, she says insistently. My heart swells with affection and gratitude for her. You're a good friend, and I know you really believe that. I turn back to the stove to avoid seeing the sadness in her eyes. But by the rest of the world's measure, I'm not. I swallow down the bitterness that creeps into the edges of my sentence. On a normal day, the patchwork of scars on my left cheek barely registers with me. After a year, they're not as taut or angry and only twinge or pull every once in a while. I'm only ever reminded of them by the lingering stares of discomfort when I meet someone for the first time or innocent curiosity of a child who asks, what happened to your face? Before their mortified mother can stop them. But right now, it burns like a spotlight has been cast on it, like a layer has been peeled off it, like it was just yesterday that the scar was carved into my face and changed my life forever. It doesn't matter how many times I'm reminded that it's a badge of survival. The platitudes about how pretty I still am leave me hollow. Nothing can alter the fact that I look nothing like the girl he said those words to ten years ago. Those words were spoken in the heat of passion to a young, beautiful, happy girl when we were in love, or at least we thought we were, and thought our love would overcome everything. Back then, nothing felt insurmountable. No storm could penetrate the shelter we'd built with the feelings we developed in the short, blissful weeks we spent together, before everything fell apart. Until then, I'd never known anything but getting what I wanted. My bedroom was lined with blue ribbons, the shelves on my walls sagged under the weight of the trophies I won for everything from dance to debate. The four sashes I'd gained as homecoming queen every year of high school were my most prized possession. My boyfriend was the high school quarterback, prom king, and the handsomest boy in school. Every girl wanted to be me. All the boys wanted to be with me. I took it all for granted. I thought my life would always be golden. Until the summer Carter and I found each other. That's when I learned that even the purest, brightest, most precious treasure could be tarnished and end up being nothing more than bitter ashes, the aftertaste of which you can never quite get rid of. I lost him, lost myself, and it took nearly losing my life to give me the courage to walk away from everything I'd ever known and try to start again. In the darkest moments of my life since then, I recited Carter's parting words, I'll be back for you, 
like a prayer. But just like every other prayer I ever uttered, they fell on the same deaf ears, and it's been a very long time since I hoped for anything more than survival. I want a quiet, pain-free existence that's as insulated from disappointment as possible. Liz, are you okay? Dina shakes me out of my meandering thoughts, and I focus on her worried eyes. No, Dina, I'm not okay, I admit with a weary sigh. I nibble my lip and eye the door suspiciously. How could he know I was here? She shrugs. Now that I can't tell you, but I can tell you that he looked like a kid on Christmas morning when I told him you were in the back. She waggles her eyebrows, and I blanch in horror. You did what? I shout. The loud din from the dining room muffles my words, but the rest of the kitchen staff look up from their work. Most of them shoot daggers at me before they get back to work. They all think the only reason I'm here is because Dina and I are best friends, and they resent my promotion up the cooking line. They're right. She hired me because I needed a job, and housewife isn't exactly a marketable job description. She's the restaurant's manager, and I can cook. So her boss, a very nice lady named Sweet, let her hire me. I work hard to make sure none of them regret it. I smile apologetically in their general direction and turn back to my room. Why did you do that? My whisper is sharp, my scowl deep and fierce. Anyone else would be taking a step back. Dina just smiles even bigger. Because I'm not a liar? And this is your fucking chance. I smother the little ember of hope that her words are oxygen for. The girl I was is gone, and so is the boy who loved her. Carter's life has changed in ways that feel removed from my reality, that I can't imagine how he'd look at me and see anything he wants anymore. I glare at her and she shrugs, crosses her arms over her ample bosom, and tosses her head. The huge bun of chocolate brown curls sways beneath the cage of the hairnet she's got on. We all wear them, even when we walk onto the restaurant floor. It's Sweet's rule. Even if I wanted to see him, there's no way I'd let him see me looking like this. I always wear my hair over the scar. He's in town for three days, maybe. Then he's off again, and it'll be another ten years before he comes back, I grumble and start stirring again. When Dina doesn't respond with her trademark sarcastic retort, I glance up. She's watching me intently and grinning like a drunk Cheshire cat. Um, are you okay? Oh, I'm great, she drawls cockily. You can forget whatever you're thinking. Even if he was really interested in seeing me, I'm not interested in seeing him. That's when I notice the rest of the kitchen staff are frozen in place. All of them have turned, and their gazes are all pointed to something over my shoulder. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, because I'm more than remotely interested, and I'm praying like fuck I can change your mind. Carter's resonant, deep, melodic voice floats through the air and wraps itself around me in an intimate embrace that's more tangible than any human touch I've experienced in years. I spin on my heels, and my knees nearly buckle when I find myself staring into the emerald green eyes of the Carter Page. He's every woman's wet dream. Tall, dangerously handsome, with a body nearly as famous as the voice that's made him the superstar that he is. But when I stumble into the pools of green that are trained on my face, I forget all of that and remember the kiss that changed my life. I'd been ready to throw everything away for the chance to have that kiss for as long as I drew breath. God, and despite how painfully it turned out, I'm certain I'd do it all again.
Shocked by the total 180-degree turn my thoughts have taken, I take a step back and trip. I grab the counter to steady my fall. But it's not the counter my hand touches, but the blistering hot griddle I've been heating to toast the corn cakes. Oh, fudge cakes and damnation! I turn my back to him and cut my hand. I can't bite back the moan of agony as the pain in my hand balloons by the second. Lizzie, oh my God. Dina cups my elbow and leads me over to the sink. I move with her, despite the throbbing pain in my hand. I'm also hyper aware of the presence behind me. I don't need to turn back around to know how he's looking at me. I know his every expression. In my mind's eye, I can see the way his full, wide, light pink lips are flattened and turned down at the corners. I can picture his heavy dark brows slashed downward with worry. His glittering eyes are full of the tender concern that has captured the imagination of every woman with a pulse. Beth, he says softly, as he comes to stand next to us at the sink that Dina's holding my hand over, while she runs a stream of cold water over the blistering palm of my hand. Goosebumps prickle my skin, and even though I'm breathing, hard and fast, I feel starved for oxygen. Beth? This time his voice is less certain, questioning, and I don't know what to do. But my eyes do, and without asking me for permission, they swing in his direction and land squarely on his face. I whimper, but not from the pain of the burn, but from the indescribably acute pang of longing that wells in my gut and fills my body when I finally let myself really look at him. I've spent countless hours watching him perform on television and on online clips I have saved in a special folder on Instagram but none of those mediums do him any justice. In person, he's got a charisma that pulls me into him like a lasso wrapped around my waist. And even when I want to turn away, I can't. His eyes skim over my scar, and I brace for the wince or flinch that always comes when people see it for the first time. They widen slightly, but in the way they would if he was seeing a new dress for the first time, and then he moves on to the rest of me. I release the breath I'd been holding, and my shoulders relax. I take the opportunity to look at him, too. Last time I'd seen him, he'd been on the cusp of manhood. Now, he was the living, breathing, spectacular definition of it. From his short buzz cut to the carefully edged, close-cropped beard that's interrupted by a tiny scar in his chin. That imperfection is nearly identical to the one that bisects his right brow. Throw in his seemingly perpetual smirk, and he looked like a modern-day pirate. He's wearing a long-sleeved white dress shirt this evening, with the sleeves rolled up to reveal his now-famous sleeve of tattoos, all song lyrics that adorn his muscular forearms. His face is leaner, his cheekbones sharper, his jaw more defined. And yet I can see the boy whose angelic voice held me in thrall for months. The boy who kissed me in the rain, and then told me it was his first kiss, and he hoped he'd never kiss anyone again because nothing could be as perfect as my lips. How he must have laughed once he started traveling the world and meeting real beauties who spoke beautiful languages and who weren't shackled by their parents' small minds or their small town's unforgiving demands. A gagging sound breaks the spell, and I peel my eyes away from the chocolate quicksand of his and turn to Dina and almost gag myself when I see my hand. I close my eyes fast, but I can't unsee the flesh hanging off my hand and the pink and white flesh that's exposed by the melted skin. Liz, this looks bad. It's blistering already. Dina gags again and turns away. 
A strong hand wraps around my shoulder as I sway. The pain and the sight of the huge white circle on the fleshiest part of my palm proves to be the final straw on the drama-filled pile Carter's appearance dumped on my back. I got you, Beth. I got you. Carter whispers in my ear, and the tears of pain that were welling in my eyes don't sting so badly suddenly. His words are like a shot of analgesic sunshine straight into my veins. Every muscle in my body relaxes, and I sag back against his broad, muscular chest. For the first time in a long time, I lean on someone who I know would never let me fall. Carter, I can't leave the kitchen. I'll be down to cook as it is. Can you take her to my office? Dina speaks over my head like I'm not there. Of course, I'll take her. His response is quick, also over my head. And if I hadn't accidentally burned my hand, I would think they conspired together to make this happen. They both sound nearly cheerful. I shake my head and try to step out of his hold. When he doesn't let go, I look up at him, my vision clouded by pain, but determined not to set myself on a path that can only end badly for me. Didn't you come here to eat? You're with your band, right? I'm breathless, and my voice is tight with pain. I close my eyes against a wave of pain that starts to move up my arm. Carter wraps an arm around my shoulder and turns me so I can't avoid his eyes any longer. They pin me in place, and he lowers his head, and his breath is warm and sweet against my neck. I did come in with my band. They came to eat. I came for you. I've been waiting ten years to hear those words. I fantasized about this moment for so long. But just in the last year, I let that fantasy go. Every time I looked in the mirror, I was reminded that no one would look at me and see the girl I'd been then. When I stopped looking like that, everyone I'd sacrificed my happiness to please had turned their backs on me. But here he is, looking at me like nothing had changed. And combined with the rush of pain in my hand and the shock of seeing Carter, my brain decides it's too much. And the last thing I see before I faint is the flash of Carter's hand as he reaches for me to break my fall. Chapter 2. Carter I manage to catch her before she crumples to the ground. I scoop her up into my arms and turn to look around the kitchen. Her friend is watching us slack-jawed, and the rest of the kitchen staff is starting to gather around us. She moans, and I look down at her heart-shaped face to see that her thick, feathery lashes are fluttering. It's hard to make myself look away from her when all I've wanted to do for the last ten years is see her again. But I want to make sure she's okay and get her somewhere private. I look over at her friend Dina. Her dark eyes are as wide as saucers, and her face is pale as she stares at Beth in horror. Where's that office you mentioned? I snap, and she jumps like I startled her. Oh my god, I'm such an idiot, of course. This way, there's a couch. She turns and starts toward the back of the kitchen. Ray, bring the first aid kit to my office and a bottle of water too, please. She calls over her shoulder. Carter? Beth calls my name, and I look down to find her fully awake, but her eyes are glazed with pain and confusion. You're okay, darling. I know it hurts. It does. She murmurs and closes her eyes against it. I follow her friend through the door she's holding open and into a dingy little office with a couch that looks like it's been handed down several times. You want me to lay her on that? I eye the stained, threadbare couch disdainfully. It's clean, just 
old. She snaps and steps back out of the door to take the first aid kit and a bottle of water from the man who she ordered to get them. She curses at whatever he says and lays the first aid kit and bottle of water down and rushes from the room. Just like that, for the first time in ten years, we're alone. In every way that matters, she's exactly the same as I left her. I can't believe I've gone this long without holding her. Her body is still so fucking sexy. All tits, ass, and curves that flow along the trim lines of her frame. Just like they had when she'd been the star of my teenage wet dreams. Her beautiful face is contorted in pain. Her eyes still closed as she cradles her burned hand against her chest. I know I need to at least get a bandage on her, and tear my eyes off her and scan the room for an alternative to the couch. There isn't one. Can I put you on your feet for just a second? I whisper. She nods, but doesn't open her eyes. Lean on me, okay? I wait for her to nod before I lower her to the ground. I wrap one arm around her waist and shrug out of my jacket sleeve, switch arms, and take it off altogether. I lay it on the couch, covering the most offensive stains with it, before I prop her up on it. I sit on here all the time. It's fine. She says groggily and throws her head back so that the creamy olive skin of her throat is bared to me. A small beauty mark right in the center, like a bullseye for my lips. I lean forward, just want to get close enough to... The door comes flying open. Holy shit! Lizzie, I'm so sorry, are you okay? Her friend comes to stand next to me and shoots a worried glance over her shoulder at the door. My hand is killing me, and I'm embarrassed, but otherwise I'm okay. She gives a half-hearted chuckle and shoots her friend a deprecating smile. I hate to do this, but I'm already down a cook and we're getting slammed. She shoots a dark look in my direction. Someone tagged you in a picture on IG, and we're already at capacity with a line forming out the door. She shoots a worried glance over her shoulder at me. Yeah, that's what happens. I'm sorry. We usually give a heads up when we're coming, but... I trail off, because I don't want to say that I didn't want to give Elizabeth a heads up. No, it's great, as long as people don't mind the long wait. We're happy for the business, but I gotta get back out there. Can you clean that? Put a band-aid on it? She nods at the first aid kit, and I just want her to leave again so I can finally have my girl to myself. Yeah, I got this. Go ahead. Oh, Carter, you don't have to. She starts to dismiss me, and I stop her with a shake of my head. I do. I have to. I say meaningfully. Okay, you take the rest of the day off. It's not that bad of a burn, but you should probably just let it calm down for a day. I'll see you later, Dina calls as she turns and rushes back out of the room. The door closes, and I look back to find her watching me. And for a second, I'm worried that she doesn't see the boy I used to be. And then, suddenly she smiles. A smile that says, I can't believe you're here. It's not a huge smile. Pain lingers in her eyes, but it's there, and it's enough. I've missed you so fucking much, I tell her, and her smile disappears. Her eyes drop to her lap, and she leans away slightly. I stare at the top of her bowed head and want to punch myself. I came on too strong. It's been ten years. She's been someone else's wife for most of that time. I forget that she hasn't been pining away from me the way I've been pining for her. I clear my throat and reach for the first aid kit. 
Let's get you bandaged up. I pick up her injured hand to examine it. She flinches when I press the gauze to it. I'm sorry. I blow on the huge blister that's forming to cool it down. It's okay. It just hurts a lot. Burns are an occupational hazard, and I think this looks worse than it is. It just always hurts so much, she says quietly, her eyes still downcast. She takes her hair out of the hairnet, and it falls down around her cheeks, and I can't see her scar anymore. My stomach bottomed out when I saw her scar. I'd never been more grateful for all the media training Dean insisted upon, or else I know shock would have shown plain as day. I want to ask how she got it, but that will come later. It's just one of the many questions I have for her. I'd imagined a reunion much differently. She was going to turn around, see me, and rush into my arms and beg me to take her with me when I left town. But now I realize that years of being idolized by every woman I meet has tainted my grasp on reality. She hadn't even wanted to see me. I'm sorry I walked in like that. I know you didn't want to. I didn't mean that, Carter. I was just scared, she says softly, and I look up to find her looking at me full on. Scared of what? Of you seeing me? Of you seeing this? I'm not the same as I was when you knew me. She runs the back of her free hand over her scarred cheek and winces. Understanding dawns, and something inside of me starts to think that she was worried that I would look at her and see her as changed. I put her hand down in her lap and reach into the first aid kit and pull out the huge square bandage. Most of the time, I hate the way the world treats me, I confess as I pull the wrapping off the bandage and press it lightly into place. How do they treat you? Like my shit doesn't stink. Like I walk on water. Yeah, that sounds terrible. She scoffs, and there's no mistaking the sarcasm in her voice. Satisfied that her burn is properly bandaged, I sit down next to her on the same side of the scar she thought would come between us. Did you forget that I've been on the receiving end of the exact opposite of the worship I get now? I know that the way people treat me has nothing to do with who I really am. It's all about what they see. I guess. She sounds unconvinced. I'm the same person I was back then. Back then, everyone treated me like shit. I didn't, she says defensively. Yeah, you were different. And you heard me sing before you saw me, right? I nod her gently with my knee and glance over at her. She's staring at the floor, but a smile is playing around the corner of her mouth. That night, when I sat down at the piano to play, the way I always did when I thought I was alone, I had no idea that anyone was listening, much less the girl I'd loved from afar for four years. I didn't know or care who that voice belonged to, she says quietly. I know you didn't. I was surprised when I saw it was you, but only because I couldn't believe that we'd gone to school together all of those years, and I didn't really know you at all. By the end of that first week, you'd learned everything you needed to know, didn't you? That's how long it took us to declare our love. Oh, I learned everything I needed to know that night, Carter. In the rain when you kissed me, with your whole heart. She turns her head to look at me fully and her eyes are full of the same wonder they held back then. And they slay me all over again. I'm still the same person, Beth. 
The only thing that changed is that more people heard my music. I look the same. Lucky you, she says with a tight smile. Well, except for my tattoos and muscles I added in the gym. But those things haven't changed what's here. I put my hand over my chest. My father is still the town drunk who made my mother's life a living hell whose sins I was punished for. I never saw you that way. Her eyes roam my face, and it's not my imagination, not at all, when they linger on my lips. I smile at that, and I'm rewarded with one from her too, that reaches all the way to her eyes, and I fall even harder for her. When I'm home, on the small island I call home when I'm not touring, I look out on the Caribbean Sea, and I think of you. You do? I cup her cheek she tried to put between us, and she gasps. When her eyes come to mine, they're bright with tears. That sea reminds me of your eyes, clear, blue, and the star of the show on your beautiful, heart-shaped face. A tear falls from her eye and rolls down her cheek. I lean forward and kiss the tiny trickle. I skim my lips across the top of her cheekbone and she leans into me. I press my lips to the sweet curve of her ear and she trembles. I won't lie and say I don't see your scar, Beth. But to me, it's just something new to love on your face. And what hasn't changed is that when everyone else looks at and see the external things, my father's sins, and now, my fame. You look at me and see. I see love. She finishes my sentence, and it's like she ignites something within herself because suddenly, her eyes are clear and shining with determination. There's my girl. Fuck, I missed you. That's the second time you've said that. If you miss me so much, then why the hell haven't you kissed me? Her sea blue eyes are full of challenge, and she raises an eyebrow. Well, what are you waiting for? Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for joining us again. So make sure you go check everything out that I said before. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join our Facebook group, group Read Me Romance Headquarters. Um, we are having a book club discussion. It, it's already up on YouTube if you're hearing this now. So make sure you go check that out. And if you ever want to join us for a live book club discussion, you can join our headquarters group and it plays live in there. And you can ask questions at the same time and all that. And I'll announce when um, the next book's coming and what we're reading and all that good stuff. So make sure you check that out. All right. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back.